Uh, well, last week we looked at some of the distinctions between Calvinism and Arminianism, um, and looked at two iterations of the question and answer, uh, with the, the reminder that at the end of the day, we want to be people of the Word. We want to sit under the authority of Scripture, and we want to we want to use the language that Scripture uses. While these systems may interpret these words or understand these words differently, um, we don't want to shy away from using these words because Scripture uses them. And so that's that's where we land. We understand that that these systems will use them differently, but that doesn't make them. Uh, inherently unbiblical. They're they're approaching scripture, sitting under the weight of scripture, viewing scripture as God's authoritative word. Um, It's just how we handle some of those words differ from system to system. So we want to be people of the word, and that's where we landed. This week, uh, we are covering a topic that we have kind of already covered. So um, let me read the question and answer and and the passage for the week, and then we'll, we'll, we'll parse that out. Question 28. What happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. And the passage for the week is John three sixteen through 18 and 36. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we have talked about uh, week 18, I believe, so about 10 weeks ago, um, talked a bit about hell. But but in that devotional, we talked more of what should we do with this doctrine? Uh, This week, we're going to get into some of the nuances of, of what is this doctrine of hell? What is it? mean? What does it imply? So here's a summary of the doctrine of hell that I, I find helpful. Um, hell is total conscience, conscious, eternal separation from the blessings and presence of God and is the future of all who do not seek God through his son. Now we said 10 weeks ago that, um, this is not a fun doctrine to study. It's not something that brings us a, a great deal of joy. Um, and in fact, throughout history, it, that has been the case. People have tried to come up with alternate ways of understanding life after death to downplay hell. Uh, so talking about second chances after we die, talking about um, annihilationism. So it's not that we're sent to eternal punishment, but at some point we just cease to exist. There there are all kinds of ways that people try to get around the doctrine of hell, uh, but the reality is scripture speaks to it. And scripture speaks to it as a, a a kind of finality of future judgment as well as the eternality of future punishment. So there's a finality and an eternality to this judgment and punishment. 
And it is eternal separation from the blessings of God. So let's talk about that first one, the finality of future judgment. Uh, one of the things that we, we need to understand is Scripture nowhere speaks about a second chance after death. There are passages that can maybe be a little confusing in terms of the finality of the future judgment. As, do these actually talk about finality? But nowhere does it offer a second chance. And in fact, as you, you parse it out, you see uh, it does in fact speak of finality for future judgment. There is no second chance. Uh, one thing I read said, said it this way, final separation occurs at the last judgment and consists in the irrevocable separation of the wicked from the righteous and from the presence of God's mercy. Jesus himself teaches that the final judgment will involve an irrevocable separation between the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And the Apostle Paul says those who experience eternal destruction will do so away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. There will be no post-mortem opportunities to be reconciled to God in order to bridge this separation, Hebrews 9, 27. And so, Scripture speaks of hell as a final future judgment. Uh, Miller Erickson in his systematic theology book talks about some of the, the confusing passages and walks through them. And if you, if you want to have access to that resource, feel free to reach out. I'd love to let you look at that. But for the sake of time, just noting scripture doesn't give language for a second chance after death, or as this uh, author put it, there will be no post-mortem opportunities to be reconciled to God. Uh, it is, uh, there is a finality to future judgment. Um, but the future judgment and punishment also has an eternality attached to it. Um, and this is where annihilationism comes in. This, this idea that at some point we will just cease to exist. Uh, one of the ways the argument goes at some points, not always this way, but sometimes the argument will go, um, sin is destructive. And so if left to its natural end over the course of time, it will just cause destruction to the point where it, we will cease to exist. But that's not how scripture speaks about it. Um, the Old and New Testaments both refer to unquenchable eternal fire. Let me read this from Millard Erickson. He says, The problem with annihilationism is that it contradicts the teaching of the Bible. Both Old and New Testaments refer to unending, unquenchable fire. Jesus borrows the imagery of Isaiah 66, 24 to describe the punishment of sinners in hell. Mark 9, The worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Such passages make it clear that the punishment is unending. It does not consume the one on whom it is inflicted and thus simply come to an end. And we see Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, we see language about the, the eternal nature of this punishment. This, this is not something that simply ceases. It continues. And so back to our summary, it is the conscious eternal separation from the blessings and presence of God and is the future of all who do not seek God through his son. And so it is uh, final in that there is no second chance after death and it is eternal in that it does not end. And in the doctrine of hell, one of the questions that often gets raised is, is that of God's goodness. How can a loving and good God 
send people to hell? How can a loving and good God punish people? There are a couple of things. Um, first, look at our verse, John three sixteen through 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Um, the, the love of God shines in the person of Christ. Um, hell is the reality for those who do not put their faith in Christ, but Christ comes to offer an escape from hell into the presence of God for eter- eternity. Um, and he comes that the world might be saved through him. But the verse goes on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so scripture walks this tension. It, it doesn't go too far one way or the other. We see the love of God in the person and work of Christ, and we see the justice of God in, in, in the punishment of sin for eternity. And so we see God's love and justice. Justice demands this punishment, and the justice of God does not negate the love of God, and vice versa, the love of God does not negate the justice of God. And I think when we raise this question, and it's a fair question, and we understand the heart behind it, but I also think when we raise this question, how can a good God punish sin in this way? Um, I, I, I don't know that we're thinking about sin correctly. Um, Sin is not just this minor act of disobedience that deserves a slap on the wrist that we might be corrected. Sin is rebellion against the sovereign God of the universe and must be paid for. That is seen throughout Scripture. And when we understand sin as this rebellion against God and not just this small thing of disobedience, the punishment is not too severe. We think about it as the punishment seems so severe compared to sin, but we really should reverse that and say, if this is the punishment, how serious is our sin? And and so, as we considered last time, hell is a doctrine that ought to drive us towards holiness. And the other thing that the doctrine of hell really does is it makes the cross more beautiful. One of the things, tools and resources that I've used with students and have found really helpful is the gospel grid. As you can see, the gospel grid kind of traces this trajectory forward in time. And at the point of conversion, uh, we see the separation that actually exists between us and God. Before conversion, we don't necessarily see that there's a separation. We think we're fine and we're good enough to get to heaven. But at the point of conversion, we see actually, oh, we are separated from God and our and our sin keeps us from him. Um, but at every point, the cross bridges the gap. Christ brings us to God. But as we grow in our faith, what we thought was maybe just a minor separation, we understand, uh, no, our our sin is more grievous than we thought, and God's love is deeper than we thought, and the the cross bridges that gap. And and as it continues, the holiness of God continues to grow in our minds, and we understand, oh, God is far more holy than I used to know or think, Um, and my sin is far worse than I used to know or think. Every point the cross bridges the gap, but the more we understand what sin is and the more we understand the holiness of God, the more the doctrine of hell makes sense as punishment for that sin. 
For those whose faith is in Christ, this is not the reality. This is not the end. Um, But for those who are not in Christ, this is the end. This is where they will end up in a conscious, eternal punishment from which after death there is no chance of escape. And what this ought to do in us is a, is a growth in our own awe, reverence, and love of God as we gr- understand more deeply what Christ actually accomplished on the cross in, in rescuing those who have faith in him from hell. This is not an easy doctrine. It's not a comfortable doctrine, but it is something Scripture speaks clearly of. Scripture speaks clearly of total, conscious, eternal separation from the blessings and presence of God as the future of all those who do not seek God through his Son by by placing their faith in him. And for those who have placed our faith in him, this ought to grow our love and awe of God and what he did for us in Christ.